Would you open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, please? Acts chapter 5, we're going to start at verse 12 this morning. When I see that video, I can't help but think of what the Apostle Paul says about the message of the gospel in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul puts it this way, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God for salvation. The power of God. He's not talking about a miracle. He's talking about the message of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it is power for salvation to those who would believe. There is power in the message of the gospel. And this morning, I want us to think about that as we are back in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 12 through verse 16 is a third summary statement in this book. Dr. Luke has has done previous summary statements of how the church is going. Chapter 2, the church was birthed at Pentecost, and then at the end of that, he gives a summary statement. Later on, the church grows, and he gives a summary statement in chapter 4. And now in chapter 5, verse 12, he gives a third summary statement of how the church is doing. And he has two main points in this summary statement. Number one, there is power in the message of the gospel. But secondly, people will respond to the powerful message of the gospel in various ways. So he starts off, there is power in the message of the gospel that was going forth from the apostles. Notice verse 12 of Acts chapter 5. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Jump down to verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick unto the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You see, there is this thing going on that that Luke wants us to know, that there was miracles taking place to the point that even Peter's shadow was said to have healed people. Jesus told the apostles, you remember, Jesus says, man, you're going to do much greater things than me. And here's the fulfillment of it. They are doing incredible, incredible things. They they are healing people. By Peter's shadow, they're being healed. But is that the point of this? That we should want miracles? That we should want to have people healed? Because here's the point. These people that were healed by Peter and the apostles, guess what? They still died. They ended up dying. And when they died, they, were, they had already set a course for where their soul would be for all of eternity, whether it would be in heaven or in hell. So the miracles themselves might have given them spiritual health here on earth, but that's not the power. That's not what's important. Yes, miracles are wonderful. Miracles can take place. God can heal. Absolutely, I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is, The miracles during this time were there to be, as verse 12 says, signs 
and wonders. Signs and wonders. Those words are given specifically to help us, the reader, understand that the power is not in the miracles. The power is in the message behind the miracles. The miracles are there for signs and wonders, signs, attesting miracles. They were things that would validate the, the, the message being given. So Jesus says, you're going to do greater things, but you're also my witnesses of who I am, what I've done, of the gospel. You're going to be messengers. And as they brought the message of the gospel, it was so powerful that it was a proved by powerful miracles. So signs and wonders are not what we ought to seek. You hear me? Signs and wonders are there for us to know that the message behind the signs and wonders is where the power is at. The message of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel basically says this. Each and every person that has been on this earth, that ever will be on this earth, is a sinner. Yes, I said it. I know that's not popular. But we are sinners apart from Jesus Christ, and our sin separates us from God, and the Bible very clearly says if we remain that way, when we die, we spend eternity in hell. That's the bad news. But the gospel is the good news that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself so that when we put our faith and trust in his shed blood, we receive forgiveness of that sin. And when we see he rose from the dead, he is the one that can provide for us eternal life so that whoever would believe in Jesus should not perish in hell but have everlasting life in heaven. That's the gospel. Jesus died, was buried, but rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And he did it for us because our sins had separated us from a holy God so that now when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are saved. Amen? That's the power of the gospel. It is the power of God of salvation, for salvation to everyone who believes. That's, what, that's what's going on here. These apostles are proving their message with signs and wonders. Not the signs and wonders are what's important. It's the message. The power is in the message of the gospel. But we come to see a second thing that begins in this summary statement. And that is this truth. There will be various responses, three to be exact, to the powerful message of the gospel. We see three distinct responses to this powerful message of the gospel. The gospel goes out with signs and wonders, but people will respond differently. So let's look very briefly at the two that are mentioned in this summary statement. Look with me at verse 13. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. You see, some will hear the message, the powerful message of the gospel, and it will invoke fear. Verse 11 says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. What things? Ananias and Sapphira. We saw last week, Ananias and Sapphira deliberately deceived the church and therefore tried to lie to God, and as a result, they were instantly put to death, not by man, but by God. We saw divine discipline confronting deliberate disobedience. 
And that brought fear. Even in the church, it brought fear, but it brought fear to those Jews who, who heard about it, and they were so afraid, the verse 13 says, that they just kind of stayed away. They, the, the fear caused them to, to stay away. Now, they didn't try to attack, they didn't try to reject, but they just simply stayed away. It was too much of a fearful thing going on. But even in spite of that, notice verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So there were those who, who by the power of the gospel that evoked fear in their life, but now we see it also affected faith in others. They came to believe in Jesus Christ. And so there was more than ever, the Scripture says, after this incredible display of God's discipline upon sin, even in the church, there were still more than ever people who were coming to faith, who counted the cost, who recognized that if God is such a holy God who has provided us a Savior, He is the one I must put my faith and trust in. And they turned to Him, and they became a part of that church. So there are Two kinds that are just very quickly mentioned here, those that the gospel message evokes fear and those that the gospel message uh, affects faith. But there's a third kind, and that's what we're going to camp on the rest of our time here this morning. Notice verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. There is a third response to the powerful message of the gospel that we see here, and that is it incites hostility. The power of the gospel to some raises up animosity within them. They do not like hearing it. They don't want you speaking it, especially if it's in the name of Jesus. And we see the Sanhedrin, 71 of the religious leaders of that day, 71 top-notch religious guys made up of three different uh, groups, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And they kind of came together and they formed this powerhouse of religious leaders and and when they heard the gospel, out of jealousy, they became hostile. They became those who persecuted the apostles. And notice what the scripture says. See, back in chapter three or, or four, the, the uh, religious leaders had grabbed Peter and John. And they had put them in jail for the night and told them not to teach in the name of Jesus. Now it's the whole group of the apostles that they grab and they put in jail. And notice the scripture says this was public jail. This was done publicly. The Sanhedrin did this so that these apostles would become examples of anyone who would speak the powerful message of the gospel. It was to serve as an example. You're going to speak the name of Jesus. You're going to speak that salvation is in him and him only. Well, here's what happens to those who do that. They are hostile. They are enraged. They, they make themselves out to be enemies of the gospel message, and they put them in jail. And the question that is before us is what do we do in those situations? Now, the truth be told, here in America, it hasn't arrived totally Yet, emphasis on yet, 
More and more, everything and everyone else is tolerated except Christianity. Everything and everyone else is tolerated except when you start to mention the name of Jesus. Then all of a sudden, that tolerating is done with. You cannot speak the name of Jesus even in our schools today. You can't pray today in school. You can't, uh, unless it's uh, uh, brought in by the students, you can't have Bible studies in school. These things are going on today, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So it's good for us to ask this question, how should we respond when times get tough for speaking the name of Jesus, for speaking the powerful gospel message? What should we do? How should we respond? And I would put it to us this way. This is kind of a weird way to put it, but I'm hoping you'll remember it. When the going gets tough, you've heard that statement, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, I want to put it in that kind of form, only I want to put it this way. When the going gets tough, the saints get soaring. Soaring. Only I'm not spelling soaring the right way. I'm just going to use S-O-R. Because I want to use S-O-R as an acrostic for the three responses that we see in the passage here to persecution. How do the apostles respond when the Sanhedrin puts them in jail and later beats them? Well, that's the way we ought to respond. And I want us to see these three things in the acrostic soar, S-O-R, so that when the going gets tough, the saints get soaring. And the first is this. Notice what it says in verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Here's an amazing thing. Here's another miracle. Here's another sign and wonder that if anybody had a mind to, they could pick it up. If the Sanhedrin would have been at all sensitive to God, they would have recognized this is a sign and wonder right in their face. Because what we see, and we'll find it later on, is that an angel of the Lord, a messenger of the Lord, came and released these 12 apostles from jail. But he did it in an incredible way. He did it without even opening the doors. He did it without even bothering the guards that were standing right there. He did it so miraculously that nobody even understood or knew that they had been broken out of jail in the middle of the night. It was an incredible sign and wonder. It was a miracle that was attesting to the truth of the message of the gospel. But I want you to see what this messenger told the apostles. Notice what he says, verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak. And speak. Church, why am I getting so upset or excited about this word speak? Because today, here's what we want the angel to say Go to the temple and just act. Go to the temple and just be the hands and feet of Jesus. Don't worry about saying anything. Just go to the temple and and act like a a Jesus follower. We want to camp there. Now, that's true. That's good. But the angel doesn't say, go and pretend to be a follower of Jesus. The angel says, go and speak. Why were they in jail? Because they spoke. They spoke the powerful message of the gospel. 
And you know what happens today? We get confronted for speaking the message of the gospel, and we say, oh, oh, we don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. Oh, 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 we don't want to offend anyone. After all, we are seeker-sensitive. You know, we just want to love them, show compassion to them. We, we just want to let them know that, that we are followers of Jesus and, and we're doing this as his hands and feet. And that's great. Please don't hear me say that's bad. But there comes a point when we have to speak. Church, we cannot just assume that these people are going to know the gospel message through osmosis. We have to use our mouth. So when the going gets tough, the saints get speaking. They get speaking the powerful gospel message. They don't stop because of persecution. In fact, they go even harder after it. The angel said, go to the temple and speak. And what did they do? The very next morning at daybreak, they were out there, and the scripture says they were teaching. They were using their mouths, telling about Jesus Christ. They were speaking it. Now, church, our actions have to match our talk. I get that. And I know that we are tempted to give in to that statement made by Francis of Assisi. Speak, or uh, uh, let me, I got to get it right. He said this. Oh, where is it? Right here. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And we hang on to that, don't we? That's wonderful. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. In other words, you don't really have to use words, but that's a bunch of baloney. Because Peter says, how are they going to know unless they hear, not see, hear? How are they going to hear unless there's a preacher, a speaker to go talk to them? Faith, he says, come by, comes by hearing not seeing church we need to speak the message of the gospel and when we face tough times of persecution when we face ridicule when we face hardship because of our powerful message that doesn't mean we stop speaking it means we speak all the more so church we need to recognize that when tough times are in front of us when the going gets tough The saints get speaking. They start talking about Jesus even more. But secondly, as we go on, we see this thing unfolding. It's incredible. They go there, and I'm not going to read it, but the the next morning, the Sanhedrin goes and says to the the police uh, guard to go get the prisoners, and he goes in there and goes, "Um, I don't know how this happened, but they're not there. The the jail is locked, and the guards didn't see anything, but they're, they're gone. How ironic. Again, if those religious leaders had any sensitivity to the truth of God, they would have recognized this as a smack dab in your face sign that what these guys are speaking is true. But it didn't, of course. And so finally, somebody comes in and goes, hey, hey, you know those uh, 12 guys that you arrested? (laughs) They're just a couple hundred feet away, right over here. And they're speaking the gospel. They're in the temple court, and they're speaking the gospel. You want to talk about egg on your face? Here's these religious leaders that have all the answers and are ready to come down hard on the 12, and the 12 are just not too far away, just sharing the gospel. T 
teaching in the temple courts, telling people about Jesus, telling him that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. <laughs> this is incredible. So they go have this police uh, chief to go get him, and, and, he, and he brings them in. But he does so, the Scripture says, without causing a riot because he was afraid of being stoned. And that's no statement on the use of marijuana. It's a statement on actually being killed. He was going to be killed. He was in fear of that because the people were flocking. They wanted to hear the powerful message of the gospel. And so he brings them in without a a big hurrah, and he brings them now before the Sanhedrin, And the Sanhedrin, the chief priest, asked them this question, verse 28. We strictly charged you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings. Notice the speaking, dear church. They continued to speak. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now here's the 12 standing before these top guys, these these high and mighty lofty guys um, amongst the religious leaders of Judaism. These are the top. And now they're given an account. And, And when they had brought Peter and John in before, they said, you can go out, but don't speak the name of Jesus. Because it's in the name of Jesus that saves people. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus only. So they're saying, we told you not to speak in the name of Jesus, and yet here you are. You're talking all about Jesus. And then we come to a powerful statement, a statement that I remember learning as a little kid in Sunday school and in junior church and in CEF. I remember hearing this. Verse 29, Peter responds, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. God is the one that we serve. God is the one that we follow. God, when he speaks, we obey him over and above men. We must obey God. So the O in sore is when the going gets tough, the saints keep obeying. We keep obeying God. We don't compromise We don't give in a little. We don't hush up a little. We don't change our tactics a little. Nobody's saying amen on this. I need Bob Doolittle here because his big thing is obedience, obedience. And he would at least kind of say amen this morning. But the second thing that these guys did is they proclaimed their obedience to God in fidelity. It's God and God alone that we obey. And when men, even those men who are in authority over us, call us to contradict the commandments of God, we obey God every time. I was asked last week, and it was a great, great question. When we looked at Ananias and Sapphira, the question was raised, well, how come Sapphira died when all she was doing was submitting and honoring her husband? She was, she was honoring. She was just going along with what he had said. And my wife echoed that. She goes, yeah, that doesn't seem fair. She was just doing what God called her to. She's to submit to her husband. And here's the answer. Isn't it the answer? God has certainly put authority over us, dear church. There are civic authorities that are over us, and we need to obey them. The Scripture calls us to obey them. But in any authority, 
any authority that calls us to disobey the truth of the Scripture, we must decide, will we obey God or will we obey men? And the apostles say, we obey God. See, when we are confronted with persecution, when we're confronted with ridicule or whatever it might be for speaking the powerful message of the gospel, the second thing we must continue to do is obey God rather than men. And I got to be honest with you, this is hard. This is hard. What do you do? What do you do when the school says you can't speak Jesus? You can't, you can't talk about Jesus to these kids. You, you can't do this. You can't do that. It's hard. There's consequences that happen when you keep obeying God, right? So what do we do? We obey God and leave the consequences with Him. I heard a statement a while back. God is able to take care of the consequences of my obedience. I like that. God is able to handle the consequences of my obedience. He will take care of it. I don't know what it's going to be. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he'll take care of it. I'm just called to obey. And so the apostles continue to obey. They continue to speak. And they even in the face of these top religious leaders say we must obey God rather than men. And you think that'd be enough, but no. Peter, speaking on behalf of the apostles, goes even a little bit further. (laughs) And he basically says this, we obey God rather than men, but obviously you don't obey God. Basically what he's saying, notice verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin, verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. You see the implication? Not only are they saying, you guys put Jesus on the cross, but now he's saying, in so doing, and because you're refusing to believe, you don't have the Holy Spirit because you don't obey him. So not only is Peter saying, we obey God rather than you, he's saying, you're disobeying God. That's what he's saying. It's no wonder that the very next verse we read, verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. Because Peter's in the face of these Sanhedrin, these religious elite. He continues to speak. He continues to obey God. And they now want to kill him. So what we've seen so far, when the going gets tough, the saints get soaring. They first of all keep speaking. They speak the gospel message. And then secondly, they obey. They obey God with fidelity. They, they are loyal to God over and above any, anyone else. But now as we move on, we'll see a third thing, and it's not till the end, but they now are enraged. The Sanhedrin is enraged. They're angered. They're upset. They want to kill these guys. This is, this is not just a little bit, oh, I wish you wouldn't have said that. This is a, you said that. Am I turning red? I'm trying to turn red so that you see the anger. They were, the Scripture says, enraged. They were livid. They could not believe these punks were standing in front of them speaking such words to them. You are suggesting we don't obey God. We are the religious leaders for heaven's sakes. We obey God. How dare you to say that? 
and they're livid, they're angry, they want to kill. That's what the Scripture says. I love it because this is just pure hatred, pure hostility, pure animosity to the messengers of the gospel. So what do they do? They're ready to kill him. Gamaliel speaks up. Now, you need to know he is one of the top, he is the top rabbi of the day. He is extremely wise. He is a Sadducee, or a Pharisee rather, and he is one who, who the people understand to have great wisdom. And he stands up at this point, and he speaks these words. He says, listen, if this is of God, you're going to find yourself disobeying God in the face of God, just what they said. You're going you're to prove them right because you can't stop this if this is of God. But if it's not of God, remember there was two guys back when, and they rose up and they proclaimed that they were the Christ, that they were Jesus, they, I mean, excuse me, the Messiah. And, and, and guess what? They, even one of them gathered 400 around himself, and, and, and it amounted to nothing on both cases. Gamaliel is saying basically this. He says, listen, if this is of God, you can't stop it. If it isn't of God, let him alone, and it'll die out by itself. Now, we look at that and today, and we go, well, that makes sense, right? I mean, that makes sense. But is it true? It's not true, dear church. Don't buy in. I believe God sovereignly uses what Gamaliel says, but it's not true. It's called fatalism, what he's talking about. And there's a sense in which it is true that God's plans cannot be thwarted. Ask Job about that. Job recognizes that. Job proclaimed that very clearly in Job chapter 42. I know that no plans of yours can be stopped. It's true. That part's true. But does that mean we just sit back and we don't oppose those that are opposed to God? Paul, who is a student of Gamaliel, Later on in Acts chapter 22, says he did not buy into Gamaliel's statement here. In fact, he opposed the church. He did not buy into what he had said. Although, so, so here's what I'm just trying to say. Don't, don't go, oh yeah, that's true. There's part of what he says is true, but there's part that is not. If it opposes God, we oppose it. Okay? We don't just sit back. Because the truth is, there are some cults that are going on today that have been going on for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. Some even longer than Christianity. So we cannot buy into the statement that if it's false, it's going it's to fall away. So we've got to recognize the truth, and we've got to stand for the truth. And that's my little sidestep here. But, but Gamaliel, he, he, he talks about this, and the rest of them say, yeah, okay. And so instead of putting them to death, instead of putting them to death, they actually flog them. Verse, uh, jump down with me uh, to verse 39. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overwhelm them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, verse 40. And when they had called his, in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. There's the third thing. Our rejoice. When the going gets tough, the saints start rejoicing. Amen. 
They start rejoicing. Seems opposite, right? We don't want to suffer for Jesus. We don't want to have persecution. We don't want to have people talking bad against us. But these people were flogged. And and the idea is that perhaps it was even as bad as 39 lashes, which is what Jesus received. It could be that. Some, Some commentaries say, well, because of the nature of it, it probably was a little bit lighter. It wasn't as harsh. Nonetheless, they were beaten. They were whipped. This was not a fun thing. They weren't going, yeah, I'm glad I'm getting whipped. But they were saying, yeah, I'm glad because I'm counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. When was the last time you said, yes, I'm ridiculed for Jesus? Could it be because you've not ever been ridiculed for Jesus? Or could it be that it's never crossed your mind to rejoice? when you're ridiculed for Jesus. See, these guys are rejoicing. They leave with great joy in their heart. They feel gratitude because they get to suffer for the name of Jesus. What did Jesus say? Hey, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. Hey, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Hey, you need to understand, Jesus says to his apostles, In this world, you will experience tribulation. You will experience suffering. You will experience hatred because of the name of Jesus, because of the gospel of Jesus. You will experience this, but Jesus goes on. Don't worry. I've overcome the world. We got something on them. Now, you might have to go through suffering. You might have to go through persecution. You might get 39 lashes even, but guess what? You're doing it for my name. Rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, because you are taking a stand and you are making the power of the gospel known and people are going to have to wrestle with it and either it will evoke them to fear, it will affect them to faith, or it might incite hostility in them. But that's not up to you. That's not up to me. Let's just share the gospel and let God do with it what he needs to do. Let's share the gospel. You see, I do not believe that we can even begin to comprehend the persecution that was going on here. That's why I showed the video at the beginning, because this is going on in our day, right here, right now. Thousands and thousands of Christians across this world and in Iraq and Iran are being killed because of the gospel message. They're refusing to give up. They're refusing to quit. And they continue to speak the name of Jesus, as you saw in the video. And they are paying for it. There's another video that I didn't show. And it talks, this one guy is sharing how we, and I ran. He and his father became Christians. And his father ended up dying in jail as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he said, I felt such guilt. I felt so bad because I felt like in a sense it was my fault. And he said, then one night I had a dream. And I believe wholeheartedly it was God speaking. And God said, I know you've lost your earthly father, but I'm your heavenly father. You still have a father. You continue to tell people about my son. And he continues to this day telling people about Jesus, even though at any moment he too could find himself. And that's what we need to see. We need to understand. We need to recognize that there are brothers and sisters all over the world that are facing 
persecution. But I want to tell you about something right here, right now, that is going on here in America. And it's that announcement that I did remember to announce. CEF is experiencing persecution. Child Evangelism Fellowship. Several years ago, there was a group that came up against Child Evangelism Fellowship for the material that they were sharing with these kids, saying, you're brainwashing our students. That's what they were saying. A couple years ago, I think, when it was good news across America that took place in Portland, you remember that? And on the radio here, there were protest groups that would gather around the the five-day clubs that were going on all over in Portland, and they were protesting what was going on. It ramped up a bit. And now, if you see on the back of your bulletin, there is this invite for each and every one of us to come on Wednesday morning at 11. The time is not in the bulletin, so make sure you hear this, 11 a.m. to noon for one hour to come and pray because here's what's going on now. It's ramped up even more. This group that is opposing CEF thought, if we say we want to start a Satan-worshiping club, then the school's going to say no to that, and therefore, by that, they have to say no to CEF. They're trying this all kinds of stuff. But guess what? The school has said, okay, go ahead. (laughs) Which causes us a little bit of confusion, doesn't it? Wait, that's good because CEF's going to continue. But wait, a Satan club? We don't want them thinking that Satan's good. So, so there's this confusion. So that's why we need the Lord. We need to pray. That's why you are all invited because, dear church, persecution is coming to America. It's coming to a town near you. I could put it that way. And so we need to be in prayer, and we need to be ready to soar when it does, to speak, to obey, and to rejoice to speak the gospel. Don't let any kind of ridicule or anything keep us from talking about the power of Jesus Christ, His death and His resurrection and His exaltation at the right hand of the Father right now. We cannot let anything keep us from speaking it. And when it comes down to it, we need to obey God more than we obey man. And thirdly, when we are persecuted, We need to get together and say, Yahoo! Right? We rejoice. We rejoice. So today I'm just going to ask you to do something. I'm asking you to make a reconfirmation. Maybe for some of you it's a first time confirmation about the message, the power of the message of the gospel. So I'm going to make a statement. And if you believe it, and this morning you're saying, this is my rededication or recommitment or maybe commitment to the first time, then you speak it with me when I do it a second time, okay? So it'll go like this. The first statement I want to make is that I believe in the powerful message of the gospel. If you can say that and you mean it, then join me in. I believe in the powerful message of the gospel. Say it with me. I believe in the powerful message of the gospel. Second statement. I believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation. I believe the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Third I am not ashamed of the gospel. Think about it for a moment. 
Think about it. I don't want you to say it if you don't mean it. I don't want you to say it and then tomorrow to go to your job or to hang out with a friend or to whatever you might be doing tomorrow, having an opportunity to share Jesus Christ and you don't share because you're ashamed. So if you're going to be ashamed, don't make this statement. But if you say today, Jeff, I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel, then repeat this statement with me. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Ready? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen.